0: Connecting life and faith. This is Connections.
1: One thing that happened while I was in there is these ladies from church would come in and they would play these songs for us, right? Like worship services. And one of the songs that I heard is Rescue by Lauren Dengel. And the lyrics are I hear your SOS, your SOS. Um, I will send an army out to find you. In the middle of the hardest night, in the middle of the hardest fight, it's true. I will rescue you. I could get emotional because. I knew when I heard that song that I had been rescued, not arrested. I was living in a shed before I got arrested. It was dark. It was bad. So I knew that God had rescued me from that situation.
0: Sonya Johnson experienced plenty of trauma in her teen years, including being sexually abused. This eventually led her down a path of destruction and a path of addiction. Today she is a recovering addict and she's helping others through her own experience. Today in connection, she is going to share her beautiful testimony with us. She's also going to share with us how she plans to help others moving forward. We're joined today by Sonia Johnson. She is a mother of two boys. She is on her path to recovery, from addiction. She calls herself a recovery creator. You've been through a lot in your life. You've experienced plenty in your life. You have a story. I want to get around to that story in just a little bit. But recovery creator, I've never heard that term before. Why have you chosen to go with that?
1: So, you know, I started sharing my story. A friend um, encouraged me to start sharing my story on social media. And it has just blown up so much. I started sharing my story about nine months ago. And already, like, there's just so many people... That have been touched by my story and have reached out to me or parents of addicts or people that are in addiction or in recovery there's so many people that you know have seen my story and reached out to me. So, you know, I feel like it's part of my purpose in life, like I'm supposed to be doing this, you know, because I can reach people when they're in their darkest moment. So that's why I share my story on social media. You know, I mean, I want people to know that they're not alone, because when I was in addiction, I felt like I was alone and like I was a bad person, you know. So it's very important for me to let them know that they're not alone and that there is a way out and that recovery is possible.
0: Now, speaking of that social media, that is where I found you. I was just scrolling through your story came across and wow, it it is powerful. Tell us a little bit about yourself. You haven't been in the place that you're in now your entire life. So share with us a little bit about what has happened in your journey.
1: So just to tell you like a brief about my backstory. So I was raised in a Christian home. Um, You know, I had a pretty normal childhood. I'm an only child. And um uh, my parents got divorced when I was eight years old. So after they got divorced, I think I was just looking for that father figure in my life. And, you know, I went through some trauma in my teenage years. I was sexually abused. Um, I was with a guy uh who turned out to be the first person that I ever knew to overdose, and he got me pregnant and I lost that baby. So then right after that, I was in an abusive relationship. So in my teenage years, like I went through a lot of trauma. And when I found drugs like in alcohol. That was my solution at the time, you know, it covered up the ways that I was feeling made me feel like I could come out of my shell and like be cool, you know, like all the other kids were doing because that's what everybody was doing at the time, you know, and I thought like we were teenagers that's just what we do we're young and we're wild and we're free, you know, but what happened to me is very quickly. Um, even as a teenager, when the other kids went back to school, I didn't want to do that. Like, I wanted to continue to party all day, every day. And that's exactly what I did, you know. And during that time that I was partying, I was also looking for love in all the wrong places, which is what led me into an abusive relationship. And, you know, the boyfriend that overdosed, like, you know, I was just looking for something outside of myself to fix what was broken inside of me. So, you know, I got out of that abusive relationship and I tried a geographical change because by this point in time, I already knew that I was an addict. I had already been in a detox center. I knew I couldn't stop using. I was already stealing from family and stores and I knew that I had a problem. So I thought if I could just move away from where I was that I would be okay. (laughs) Well, turns out no matter where you go, there you are. (laughs) So I did, I like moved away to Georgia and um, I actually moved with the person who is my husband now. <laughs> but, um, you know, we tried to start a life there. And very quickly, I found what I was looking for, which was drugs, you know. So I started using we were functional for a little while, um, got pregnant. And I decided that I did not want to lose this baby because I already lost a baby before. So I got clean long enough. And, and I say clean, but I mean abstinent. I got abstinent long enough to have a baby, and then my husband and I got married, and then we had another child, and we lived kind of a um, functional life for a little while. I mean, we were using substances, but we weren't really out of control. So we did, you know, the I was a stay-at-home mom, and he worked really hard, and we had a happy family for a few years. So then what happened is, um, you know, our addiction started progressing, because as an addict, you can't be functional for very long. So I did okay for a little while, but then I ran into my old drug of choice again and I started using and it was like off to the races. I went, well, I told my husband that I wanted to move back to Florida because that's where my drug of choice was. I didn't tell him that though. (laughs) I told him I wanted to be closer to my family. So we did, we moved back to Florida and I went right back to using what, you know, I was using before. So uh, it wasn't long before I got caught by my neighbor using my drug of choice. She saw me using through the sliding glass window at my apartment, and she called the Department of Children and Families on me. So they showed up at my house, and I decided that the best thing to do would be be honest with them, right? So I told them I had been using and I wanted to stop using. And they said, okay, well, we're going to come back in 45 days. If you can pass this drug test, then we'll close the case. No problem. So when they came back in 45 days, it was Christmas Eve. When they came back, I wasn't clean and sober. I had gotten some fake pee, right? So I was ready for the test. Well, I passed that drug test and they closed the case. Five days later, I got caught basically acting like a fool in the middle of the road. Like I was, I was messed up. I jumped out of a car while I was driving down the road and I was covered in blood, um, you know, and then the cops got called. So... When that happened, DCF got called back into my life. And when I say DCF, I mean the Department of Children and Families.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. So at that point in time, like I knew that my kids, like I was, I didn't want my kids to go to foster care. So at that time, I sent the kids to live with my mom because I knew I wasn't going to win this case. I couldn't get myself clean, um, you know, but I didn't want to lose custody of my kids. So they went to live with my mom and that was in 2013. 2013. So when that happened, like it kind of just gave me the right to use in my addicted thinking, like I justified and rationalized, well, I don't have my kids. I'm a horrible mom. You know, I might as well just use. And that's what I did. So we continued to use both my husband and I continued to use and our addiction progressed. Like it started off small and we started doing like heroin and meth. You know, I mean, it got bad in the ways that we did it also progressed so maybe we started off you know smoking it and then by the end of it we were shooting it so it got very bad and it got very dangerous in 2016 my husband's father passed away and that is where things started just spiraling out of control the kids were still with my mom his father passed away and we just went all the way in like we just didn't even care anymore So within a year of my husband's father passing away, my husband contracted endocarditis. So what happened is, is he was, we were together and he would start like going unconscious and running like extremely high fevers, like 105 fevers, right? So we took him to the hospital and come and find out, they told him that he had a kidney failure and that he had an infection in his blood. So it was a staph infection and that got into his heart, into his lungs and also into his kidneys. So what they had to do was they put chest tubes on each side of his lungs and they were draining the infection out of his lungs. It looked like a yellow, thick, like mucusy substance in his lungs and his lungs would fill up with fluid and they had to treat the endocarditis with IV antibiotics for 42 days. But it took him actually six months of being in the hospital because he was resistant to it. You know, he would leave the hospital because he wanted to use and then he would get so sick because he used and he would have to go back and they would have to start it all over again. So that 42 days actually turned into six months. And, you know, there was a time in that time period that we did not know if he was going to make it to the next day. I mean, he was probably 140 pounds and he's six foot two. You know, so he was so skinny and so sick. And I remember in those times sitting in the waiting room in the hospital on my knees begging for God to heal him and to deliver him. Because not only did I not want to live without him, but I didn't want my kids to grow up without a dad, you know. So he actually did eventually get better and he was in there for six months. They released him from the hospital. We went to see the heart failure doctor after that, because that's where they told us to go. And the heart failure doctor told him that he had heart failure and that he would not live for longer than five years. So um, very shortly after that, I mean, days later, he got arrested on a misdemeanor for like, I think it was stealing from Walmart and He got offered something that, and I'm so grateful for the town that I live in, because they're very much recovery based in the judicial system. That's why I'm here today, truly, Mm. you know, but he got offered something they call comprehensive treatment court. It's for people who have health issues, mental health issues, you know, substance abuse issues, basically everything all wrapped up into one. And he was in comprehensive treatment court, they would send him to rehab, and then he would get out use go to the hospital, then go back to jail, and then go back to rehab. And it was kind of like a cycle for him, right? Mm -hmm. So he would go for the next two years, that was in 2018. And for the next two years, he was just kind of over there. And I was you know, still in the midst of my addiction, really heavy in my addiction. And this part of my addiction, like I was willing to go any lengths. it did not matter what I had to do for the next one. Because I had failed at a mom, my husband was going to die, everybody hated me, I hated myself. You know, I mean, I just was in such a dark, dark place. Well, on July 19th, 2018, which by the way, my birthday is July 19th, <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> I got arrested. And <laughs> I was so mad at the guy for arresting me on my birthday. But, you know, I'm so grateful when I look back on that today, because that is the reason that I found recovery that started the sequence of events, shall I say. So I got arrested on four felonies and a misdemeanor. And I went to jail for a couple of days, got out on supervised release. The terms of my release were like, just don't use and call in, you know, every couple of days. And if you have to go do a drug test, do a drug test. So I didn't make it but like two months on supervised release before I was back in jail violated. And then I sat in jail a little bit longer, got out on probation. The terms of my probation, same deal, <laughs> report once a month and drop if you have to. Well, it was 42 days before my first violation, went back to jail, set in a little longer this time. And the whole time, like I'm going in and out of jail, I'm thinking to myself every time I get out, like, I'm going to do it this time. I'm just not going to use, you know. So I had the desire to not want to use, but I didn't have the ability because I didn't know how to stay clean. And I kept going back to the same people, places and things. So, you know, the second time that I was released um, or my second violation, I was reinstated. Then I was back in jail 30 days later. Well, this time they were not letting me out of jail. I had had a lot of points because in the criminal system, every charge carries a certain amount of points and every violation carries a certain amount of points. And once you get it's 44 in Florida, I don't know what it is everywhere else. But once you get up to 44 points, you're looking at prison time. Well, I had 56.7 points. So the minimum amount that I was looking at to go to prison was 20 and a half months. Now, I forgot to tell you that my probation officer called the Department of Children and Families on me during one of my violations because I had put my mom's address as my um, address, which is where my kids were. So now I have a case plan, and it's looking like I'm going to prison, and the whole weight of the world fell on my shoulders. And not only that, I didn't have the one thing that I had had the whole rest of the time, which was the substances to numb the pain, right? I'm in jail, no bond, nobody would talk to me. I wasn't allowed to call my kids. Nobody was sending me money. It was just, I was so spiritually bankrupt and broken and desperate. So I went to a place that they call the recovery pod in the Sarasota County Jail after 14 days of a horrible detox. Mm. (laughs) And in the recovery pod, they started bringing in meetings and telling me about recovery and telling me you know, that there is another way. Well, one thing that happened while I was in there is these ladies from church would come in and they would play these songs for us, right? Like worship services. And one of the songs that I heard is Rescue by Lauren Dangle, And the lyrics are, I hear your SOS, your SOS. um, I will send an army out to find you in the middle of the hardest night, in the middle of the hardest fight. It's true. I will rescue you. I could get emotional because I knew when I heard that song that I had been rescued, not arrested. I was living in a shed before I got arrested. It was dark. It was bad. So I knew that God had rescued me from that situation. And if I could just surrender my will to him, because I heard them talking about that in the meetings that, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen, but I knew that's what I needed to do. So I was headed to court one day and You know, we go through these series of holding cells before we go to court. And I was in the last holding cell, which was in the courtroom. And I was in there by myself. And I just remember, like, I surrendered. I prayed. And I said, you know what, God, like, whatever you want for my life, if I have to go to prison and lose the chance to get custody of my kids back, fine. Because that's what I felt like I deserved. I didn't feel like I was worthy of another life. But if there's another way, if you have a plan for me, then I surrendered to that right now. I walked into the courtroom and I was supposed to take an offer to go to prison. That's what I had talked to my public defender about the day before. When I walked into the courtroom, there was a lady from one of the meetings that they had been bringing in. She was in the courtroom and she had got me accepted into treatment overnight. So I saw her the day before when my public defender called. Well, she, I don't know what, but she pulled some strings and got me into treatment. And the judge told me, because I'd already been in front of him a couple times that year, <laughs> he told me, he's like, Sonia, if you come back here, you're going to prison for a long time. I was facing up to 20 years in prison, like the lowest amount was wow. 20 and a half months. So when I tell you that when I got this chance, I knew this was my only chance and I ran with it. They told me when they brought in those meetings, if you can just do what we do and what we suggest to you, you can have what we have. And that's what I started doing. I went to treatment. You know, I started taking suggestions and learning why I did all those things I did. I thought I was a bad person. I thought I was a bad mom. I didn't realize that I was a sick mom. I was a sick Mm. person. I was in my addiction. That's why I did those things I did because the person I am today would never do the things that I did in addiction. So I I started learning about those things and I completed treatment and treatment was the first thing I ever completed in my entire life. I didn't do high school, couldn't hold a job, couldn't keep a driver's license. I mean, treatment was the first thing ever and it kind of snowballed from there. So while I was in treatment, my husband showed up and he had been released from his treatment program. And he's like, Sonia, I want to bring our family back together. I want to work this out. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what I wanted too, you know, but I knew that we had to focus on ourselves if we were going to make it work. But we had agreed that we were going to work on ourselves so we could bring our family back together. And that's what we did. I went to a woman's halfway house. He went to a man's halfway house. We worked on ourselves for a little while. We started saving money and we got an apartment. We started working our case plan. And on April eighth two thousand and twenty two years ago, after seven years of my kids not being in the home with me, I brought my kids home <laughs> mm-hmm. and then, um six months later, we closed the case plan. And about a year and a half ago, I completed probation. After violating all those times, like I completed probation. And there was a moment for me, like right after probation, like I'm an addict. I know I'm an addict. There's there's something up here that doesn't think right all the time. (laughs) But, you know, there was a moment where I thought about using and then I thought to myself, gosh, you have worked so hard for everything that you have today. You know, I know that I cannot use just one time. That's not who I am. I will never be that person. And if I use, if I'm lucky enough to survive it, because I know so many people that have not made it from using one time, then I'm going to wind up back in prison. I know that for sure. Like, I I believe that in the core of my soul. So today, you know, I mean, my kids are at home with me right now on summer break. You know, we just bought a house. Everything Mm -hmm. is just exceedingly abundantly and above all my expectations of what I had hoped for for my life. Like God has exceeded all of that. And today, not only do I get to recover and have this amazing life, but I get to use my story to help other people who are just like me, you know, and I think at the end of the day, like that's what it's all about. So my, my pain got turned into my purpose.
0: Speaking of God, you said you grew up in a Christian home, but you experienced all that trauma. You experienced your father not being around. Would you say that your faith was there throughout all of this? I know you were saying you got down on your hands and knees and you prayed to God um, when your husband was, was in the hospital. Um, was he there the whole time with you? Did you have faith throughout all of this?
1: You know, I thought that I, I knew God was there. I knew that he was there even in my darkest moments, he was there, but I thought that he was mad at me. And I, I remember a time in my life where I said to myself, I was 31 years old and I said to myself, how can I ever go and meet my maker one day after I have failed at everything he's given me? I deserve to go to hell. And I know today that was the enemy trying to oppress me, but you know, I knew he was there. I just didn't feel worthy to come to him.
0: Speaking of helping other people, when people have experienced things, people are more willing to listen. Have you found that now in your own journey in helping others that because you have your story and you have your experience that they're more willing to listen to you?
1: Absolutely. I, you know, when I was in jail, I didn't want to hear what anybody had to say unless they told me that they had been in my seat. So today, when I speak to other people, like I look for that place that we can identify because that is when people listen, when you've been in their shoes.
0: What is the best thing that has happened now in these past two years um, since you've been on this recovery journey and you've been able to help others?
1: Can I pick two things?
0: (laughs) Of course you can. (laughs)
1: So in those years that my kids were with my mom, they would pray at night with my mom for their forever home and a place that they could just call home forever. So we actually, two months ago, finally got them their forever home where they have their own room. Mm -hmm. And they know that this is like a stable place for them to always call home. So that's one. And then the other one, and I forgot to tell you this earlier, I should have told you this, my husband was told that he only had five years to live when he got out of the hospital well last year I thought he was gaining weight and his ankles were getting swollen (laughs) so I took him to the doctor and I thought it was his kidneys because that's what happened before with his kidneys so I took him to the doctor and they did all of the blood work and all of the testing and they said that he has been completely healed like no heart failure no chronic kidney disease he has been completely healed of everything
0: how would you say your relationship with God has changed um, from when the time you were a child through your journey through the addiction and now on the other side of things?
1: Gosh, it's, it's grown so much and matured so much. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt in the core of my soul that God has been with me every step of the journey. And today He gave me a second chance at life, right? And all I want to do today is give that back to him. Whatever I have left is his.
0: When you heard that Lauren Daigle song, you heard those lyrics and you were like, God is here to rescue me. What exactly were you feeling in that moment?
1: Overwhelming gratitude and love and acceptance.
0: Moving forward, what is your biggest goal now um, as a recovery creator? What is your biggest goal and what is your hope?
1: That is a great question. You know, I really just hope that I can reach people and not just the people that are in addiction, but their parents and their Mm. family members and just to give them that perspective of what it's like being an addict so that they know like that person doesn't not love you they're just really sick right now. And maybe just to, I would love to actually give people resources. I'm still working on that one, but you know, just to be that connection. So people know they're not alone where I can reach them in their moment of darkness. That's what I'd really like to do.
0: Speaking of relationships with family, how's your relationship with your mother today?
1: It's absolutely amazing. You know, I'm so grateful that my mom was there for me during the whole time. She was the one person that never gave up on me, even though she put up the boundaries, one going to give me money or let me stay at her house. (laughs) (laughs) She always, always believed in me. So my relationship with all of my family is really amazing. But it definitely took time of me proving myself and being consistent and doing what I say I'm going to do before, you know, we really got that trust back.
0: Will you ever stop advocating for other people out there that are hoping, you know, to be in the same boat as you?
1: Absolutely not. Like it is my passion and passion in life to see somebody who is sick. Like when I look at them, I see me, you Mm -hmm. know, I will never stop advocating for them.
0: And it's unbelievable how far you've come, even just looking at the photos of you and your husband and where you were to where you are today. For people who want to see that, who want to see more of your story, want to learn more about you, how can they go about doing that?
1: So I am on every social media platform that you can think of. I'm on Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube. Well, that's really it right now. But no matter where you go, if you search Sonia Johnson, you can find in my bio, it links to all of them.
0: And I'm just looking at your cover photo on Facebook. It says Hope Shot Addiction Recovery. What exactly is that?
1: So I just recently started a YouTube channel where I'm going to be sharing pieces of my story and talking about addiction and recovery, bringing other people on to share their story. And that is the name of it. And I actually created that banner like a couple weeks ago. So I'm so excited to start really digging into YouTube.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And thank you so much for joining us and for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe. We'll talk to you again on Connections.